Welcome in to the IDP Show. I'm your host, Evan Ronda. You can find me on Twitter at BGTEvan and on Instagram at Big Game Theory. And I am joined by a very special guest today, Tom Kislingberry. Tom, how are you doing today? Really good, thank you very much. Oh, an absolute pleasure to be chatting football with you, Evan. Uh, we've been talking about it a little while and I'm looking forward to it. Um, you, you look at football in a similar way that I do, so we should have good fun. Thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. One of my favorite things about following Tom on Twitter, and, and by the way, you listeners, if you haven't done that yet, you're making a massive mistake with your social media presence. But uh, one of my favorite things about following Tom on Twitter is he founds a really great way to explain defense differently than you've probably thought about it before with really great graphics, really great explanations, and just a new perspective. And one of the things that has has really pushed that forward more than anything else is his Every year he does a defensive scheme handbook. And Tom, I actually have to ask, how many years have you been doing this at this point? <laughs> Only two, actually. <laughs> so Only two. I'll, I'll take every year, but man, it feels longer than that because uh, it's a bit of a labor of love and it, and it takes quite a lot of effort to put it together. Absolutely. Well, and I have been absolutely blessed because in the two years I've cared, you've been here. So that's great. Um, for those of you guys that haven't seen it yet, the 2020 one version of the Defensive Scheme Handbook came out a little bit ago, and uh, it is completely free for you guys to access. You can find it on Twitter, at Tom Kislingberry, or I'll also put a link to it in this episode description, but that's going to be what we're breaking down on today's episode, and man, oh gosh, it is just chock full (laughs) of so much good stuff. You guys can find detailed breakdowns of every single NFL team's defensive schemes, their player performances positional tendencies, insightful graphics. If you guys are new to IDP or you guys have been around for a long time, I can personally guarantee you're going to become much smarter and a lot more well-informed after you read through this thing. Well, thank you very much, sir. It's very kind. Uh, the background of it, sorry, I'm going to digress if I may. It, it's Please do. Because I didn't know stuff. So when I when I first discovered the NFL and got into it, you know, 25 years ago, um, and sort of ever since then, it was really hard to find bits of information. So I, the internet sort of didn't exist at the start of it. But it was really hard to find what different terms meant and what teams did. And, and then very quickly, well, after a few years, I sort of realised that people were just saying the same things and people would talk about these trite things that they've heard someone else say and they're repeating it um you know oh this team lines up in a certain way and then on a third down they change this way and everyone just goes yeah yeah, yeah that, that's true that, that's fact and no one ever checks this stuff no one ever looks at it everyone just repeats the same nonsense over and over again um so years and years and years into this i i sort of thought oh, surely you should be able to check this stuff and actually ratify it and see how things are changing and see what's going on um and i started doing that and then ran into quite a lot of of hazards and obstructions because a lot of people go no 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 no, you're wrong it actually works like this because my great granddaddy told me when he was in wisconsin blah 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 um and and just a lot of those things we think we know about defense are wrong but no one pays enough attention to actually check and big media covers it awfully you know they habitually list players at the wrong position and and say nonsense i remember in last year's playoffs um I think it was Troy Aikman or Joe Buck, one of them, um, was watching a Rams game and they went, oh yeah, Leonard Floyd, there's no better pass rusher in football than Leonard Floyd. And you're like, 
come on, man. He's, he's not even close to being the best pass rusher on his own team, let alone anybody else. Um, so you just get a lot of nonsense. Um, and my approach has always been to try and find out what is true um, and what is actually happening and ignore that nonsense and put something together that was actually helpful. What a great mindset to take into this. I think, I think it, it can be really productive and really beneficial because like, the worst case scenario is you just agree with people. But the best case scenario is you, you create something completely new and completely original and totally groundbreaking. And um, I, you multiple times in your, in, your, in your handbook, you've mentioned assumptions that managers have made regarding defense about this or that. But um, I was curious if you had one specific thing that you really wish it, NFL fans could just get rid of. You say it often takes a year or two for NFL fans to get rid of their priors. What's one thing that you really wish, one assumption you really wish people could just leave behind going into next year? Um, so I'm going to break this up slightly differently. There's two ways of doing this, right? There's, there's an NFL fan and an IDB fan, and they're they're connected, but they're different. So let's be clear. Um, in, in NFL terms, what I'd really like for people appreciating defense is is to get rid of 3-4 versus 3-4-3. Uh, it's not helpful. It is obstructive. It is useless. Um, teams are, are very rarely in those classic 3-4-4-3 base packages. It's not what football looks like anymore. So so throw that away. Um, and the other side of that is, is the old classic Mike, Sam, Will linebacker thing. So people still talk all the time. Oh, this guy's a Will. This guy's a Sam. This guy's a Mike. And it's, it's just not true. It's absolutely not true. The NFL is moving to a single linebacker uh Packages and even not even in two or three linebacker packages, almost no team lines up consistently against strength. Um, they they do not put the same guy over the the tight end and the same guy on the other side. It hasn't been that way for for decades, um, and and that's relevant for IDP because people make decisions on this stuff. People talk about players coming into the NFL and talk about signing for a new team. They go, oh, this guy, you know, Darius Leonard is a will, therefore, blah 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 blah. A, that's wrong. It's not true. Um, at least not consistently. It doesn't mean he doesn't play on the weak side. It means he doesn't always play on the weak side. And the other side of it is, okay, so so what do you think? Uh, so an example, we'll talk about Nick Bolton later on. Um, I was talking about Nick Bolton last year, crazy tackles, right? Um, and pointing out that he hadn't done it all these weeks. And a couple of Chiefs fans were piping up and go, of course he didn't have the tackles those weeks. He was playing at a completely different position. He was a Mike one week and a Sam the other week. Okay, even if you're right, that just doesn't make any difference in production. So uh, if you can find any examples where where Wills and Mikes have a, a, a totally different uh, production profile and what that looks like, great. I'd love to see it because I've been searching and searching for years and have not found that at all. Yeah, honestly. How, how strange is it that people have the confidence now to just say things with absolutely no evidence to support their claims whatsoever? Yeah, it's mad. Uh, and defense is really interesting, right? We, we talk about this all day because for a long time that information didn't exist. So I, I totally get it. You know, you, you don't go back very far, early 90s maybe, and sort of TV broadcasts were really zoomed in. You couldn't see anything and it was just following the ball. That sort of stuff happened all the time. So I understand that people didn't really get too much exposure to what secondaries look like or, or blah, 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 blah. But, you know, Game Pass has, has been around a while and people have had access to all 22 for a while and there's lots of interesting data companies that will share information on that stuff. It's all public. So I find a lot of the thing, a lot of the bad assumptions in football are things that people haven't checked or don't know how to check. So stuff like which package are we using, you know, three, four, four, three, how not all nickels or dimes all look the same and stuff like that. 
it's difficult to get to. So there's quite a lot of data that you have to pass and process to get to it. So I understand why people don't, but when you do have that ability to share that information, surely you go, oh, that's what it looks like, rather than no, 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 that's wrong. Because, you know, I've seen it. Absolutely. I love what you were saying earlier about just kind of the linebackers. Teams are kind of phasing towards single linebacker, even in some instances, no linebacker. I was reading specifically what you wrote about the Patriots earlier and how they are constantly cutting edge in how much they almost just don't use the linebacker. And in fact, any opportunity they can get to not use one, they generally don't. And I think it's so interesting because in the IDP realm, and I understand there's a a difference, there's an overlap, but a, a massive difference between NFL fans and IDP fans. But for IDP, linebackers tend to be the position that are most exciting, the most impactful. They score the most points, assuming that you're in the specific format where linebackers do score the most points, which you did also do a breakdown on Twitter about. We'll have to talk about that <laughs> later. But um, how interesting that that position that is so exciting and is so interesting for IDB players also happens to be the position that is almost the least forward-thinking in regards to the NFL, simply because they're almost anti-specialists they're like generalists which isn't necessarily productive it's just unfortunately somewhat necessary but perhaps maybe not as necessary as some fans might think yeah i i agree Uh, you're totally right they used to be the most flexible player in 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 football and you would keep them out there the whole time and that's just changing teams are moving away from full-time linebackers and they have been for decades right so i talked about this the other day um i read a book about 70s steelers and raiders and there was a brilliant example of i think it was ted Hendricks, kick him in the head ted and matt millen um and they got pulled off the field on third down right because the raiders decided they were going to substitute some linebackers in the third down and they came off holding hands um and they're doing oh we're little girls because you can't trust us to play three downs i'm um, okay it's the 70s so yeah times have changed but either way that's like 40, 50 years ago that linebackers have been pulled off situationally. Uh, so we talk all the time where you hear people talk about um, mismatches and offense, right? People are like, oh, this guy's a mismatch. The running back can move out into the slot or the tight end's playing or, or whatever happens. Do you, do you think defensive coaches don't see that? They don't know it's coming? Obviously they do. Uh, so in an era where we've got sort of better athletes and quarterbacks who are design runners and Titans playing in the slot and blah, 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 blah. Of course, defensive coordinators understand this is happening and they're going, well, I, I need more flexible athletes. I need people that can do more stuff because linebackers are habitually a mismatch for a lot of uh, players on the field. So I'm going to have less of them on, on the field. This is why we're, we're seeing more and more safeties uh, play in the NFL. It's not, it's not that... People want more players deep. That's not what safety means anymore. Safety is is a wild card for a guy that plays sometimes deep and sometimes in the slot and sometimes in, in the in the uh, box. And it, and it's it's that jack of all trades that movable chess people uh, chess piece people talk about. Although I've yet to see a chess piece that doesn't move. Um, that's what safety is these days. So the NFL is moving more and more towards uh, safeties and single linebacker sets with with safeties coming up in the box and and all those sorts of things because they need to cover those offensive mismatches. Um, and it feels like IDP is a little bit behind in adapting to that. Absolutely. What a strange concept, adapting your personnel to fit the situation <laughs> you're in. Who'd have thought? I'm going to go ahead and move on to, to another thought here. It's It's similar to what I asked previously, where we were talking about some assumptions that fans need to get rid of. But I think one of the best ways to gain an edge over your league mates, at least in fantasy terms, is to just take advantage of those assumptions and the inefficiencies among your opponents, what are some false trends or narratives that you believe 
can really be exploited this offseason specifically? Oh, this offseason uh, is an interesting one. So sort of looking for outliers is the core concept here, uh, right? Um, you're trying to understand a load of information to spot the full signals. Uh, that's what we do in, in the football world. So the first one of those, most obvious, uh, love to get your point of view, This on, is pressure versus sacks. So massive arguments, they've been raging for years, pressures are not the same, and people go, oh, yeah, but I don't get any points for a pressure. No, 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 pressures are indicative. Um, the percentage of which a player converts pressures into sacks is dependent mostly on the quarterback, not the player himself. So guys that rack up a lot of pressure but don't get a lot of sacks, or guys that don't get much pressure and do get a lot of sacks, are going to regress to the mean, because it's not an in- indication of their skill, it's an indication of of what happened around them. So the first thing I look at is those. So if we look at pass rushes who were especially effective last year, I would say TJ Watt um, is an obvious one. Now, it doesn't mean TJ Watt's not going to be as good next year because he could play a lot more, but he's going to be much less efficient. His finishing last year was was ridiculous. Um, Robert Quinn is really obvious. So off the top of my head, I, th- I think the Bears were second, third, fourth, bottom in pressures and fourth, in, uh, fourth or third in sacks, something like that. And a lot of that was Robert Quinn because he just happened to get home an awful lot. That's not going to happen again. I appreciate Bears fan all think he's the second coming. He's going to be amazing. It's just one of those weird things. And Harson Reddick, I would point that as well, um, who was ridiculously efficient for the first half of the season and then sort of faded. He's a free agent again. And then the other end, Max Crosby, um, ridiculous number of pressures, only had a sack in four games, I think. Um, Kenny Clark, weirdly. Kenny Clark had a really good year, but no one's talking about him. Remember like two years ago, everyone was talking about Kenny Clark? Um, yeah, guess what happened? He had a lot of sacks for his pressures that year. Couldn't keep it up, uh, but I like him next year. Maybe Christian Barmore. I think Christian Barmore is really interesting. He is one of the more talented interior rushers in the NFL, and I, he's not getting that hype at all. Very interesting. Yeah, I love how you mentioned this statistic is regressible, meaning it tends to regress to the mean over a longer period of time, over a greater sample size. And I think uh, for IDP fans who are still wrapping their heads around exactly how the statistics play into this, just think targets, right? You can't catch the ball if they don't throw it to you. You can't sack the quarterback if you're not pressuring them. Pressures are indicative of sacks, and while you might necessarily convert them or not convert them, they are instances of you almost getting there. Same thing like targets are to catches. They are instances of you earning an opportunity to score points. And so whether or not you convert on that opportunity at a low or a high rate is something that isn't necessarily stable year over year, but talent being a leading factor in whether or not you get those opportunities definitely is. So I'm a big fan of that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's a really good comparison. And the other one that springs to mind when you're talking about that is goal line opportunities as well. Mm. If, if you've got a player who's getting a lot of opportunities, targets, carries in the red zone and hasn't scored touchdowns, you can pretty much bet they're going to do better next time out. Um, so very, very similar thing. I actually kind of want to dive in a little bit further into this question. I know I specified mm. this off season specifically. I have a feeling you have some overall general ideas that aren't <laughs> specifically 2021 specific. What do you have in mind? I mean, you, you, can, you can do the same thing for a few different stats. So the other one is tackles, right? Um, it shouldn't be, but like it or lump it, the base currency of IDP is tackles at the moment. And tackles are uh, a, a thing that happens to players. Uh, I, they are not an indication of how good players are. So when people get into IDP, they either think um, players who are bad get more tackles because they get targeted. That's not true. Or players who are really good somehow get more tackles because that shows they're good that's not true either they're just different so if you look at weird tackle numbers it gives you a really good idea again of regression right so the obvious ones Denzel Perryman 
um, who just happened to have ridiculous efficiency this year. I mean, great, good luck. I hope he rode you to a championship. It's not going to happen again. It's unlikely to happen again to that extent. Nick Bolton, who we mentioned before, is one of those. Uh, so top of my head, his tackle efficiency was 17, 18 percent, something like that, for a linebacker averaged about 11 percent. Uh, so you know. 60, 70% more efficient than any other linebacker. That does not mean he's a really good player. It's just something that happened to him. And then Minka Fitzpatrick is really interesting as one as well. So played deep safety, but ridiculously effective the tackler. I mean, good luck to him. Uh, went really well, but I, I wouldn't bet on that happening again. I was going to touch on this later, but this is the perfect time to bring it up. I love that quote that says, tackling isn't something you do. It's something that happens to you. I'm curious if you would say that's the same across all positions or if there are some positions that tackles are earned a little bit more than other ones. Like, for example, I think the first time I read that quote, you were talking about slot cornerbacks. And really, the only times you get a tackle are when the player you're covering gets targeted and you tackle them on reception. Not necessarily the only time that happens, but it's very common. Whereas for a linebacker, for example, right, you could make a play in coverage, you can make a play in run defense. There are a lot more instances where your individual decisions could impact the likelihood of you getting a tackle. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, it's a really good shout, actually, and it's a really good suggestion. I, I mostly agree with you. So two ways to do that. One, there are some positional um, understandings here. So volume equals tackles, but that varies differently by position. A deep safety has a different percentage compared to a slot cornerback, compared to a blah, blah, blah. blah. So we can break that down. That gives a good, a good idea, right? So defensive backs who play more in the slot are more effective. Um, linebackers who play them on the slot are less effective, that sort of thing. On the other hand, yeah, you're right, um, and it does come through. So for linemen, I, I think tackles is actually a bit more down to skill uh, because disengaging from blocks is such a key uh, part. So we're going into draft season now, and people will give you their little scouting reports um, when they take out all the pronouns. Uh, and instead of saying, he's a good tackler, they say, is a good tackler. Um, anyway, whatever. And, and you'll you'll see that tackler thing, like like that's, that's a good ability. I mean, every defender should be able to tackle. That shouldn't be up for it. But the, the difficult thing for linemen is disengaging, getting off the block. So you do see that there a little bit. The other one that I've found is linebackers um, who are asked to play much more in zone coverage. There's a, there's a real signal there. And it took me a long time to find it. Now, generally across the NFL, and for linebackers in particular, zone versus man splits look pretty similar. But there are a few teams that ask their linebackers to play much more zone. Um, Seahawks, a really good example, and the Rams. And the linebackers that play for those teams, there there is a clear and observable benefit. So you would expect their tackle efficiency to be a, a couple of percent higher, which over the course of a thousand snaps is going to be 10, 15, 20 tackles. Uh, and that's enough to make a difference of the year. So I, I do think that's interesting, but they're all relatively minor signals, right? We, we're sort of quibbling. So number one thing, how much is your guy going to play? Is he going to be a full-time linebacker? Can he stay healthy? Then secondary level is all these things, like how much does he play in, in man? How good is he? What's that going to look like? What do the players around him look like? Those things are useful, but they're way less useful than how healthy is he going to stay anyway. So if your guy misses three games, all of that is out the window. Doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure I'm, I should be making decisions based on it. And that's really helpful too, because it helps establish your process. If you can kind of organize your thoughts in in order of what is the most important thing to pay attention to and the least important thing to pay attention to, you can save yourself a lot of headache when it comes to draft season, when it comes to setting your lineup, making free agent acquisitions, making trades. What matters the most and in what order should you be kind of looking at these things? And I I like that a lot. 
opportunities first, health first, mm -hmm. and then all these other things are, are secondary to that. So opportunity is really interesting as well because it, it fits with what we were talking about before, which is single linebacker uh, trends, right? So in the NFL at the moment, there are roughly 30 full-time linebackers, something like that. So not even one per team. If you ask the average person on the street how many linebackers play every snap, they'll probably say, I don't know, maybe 64, maybe 80, something like that. And it's wildly wrong. There's about 30 of them. Now, out of those, a nearly half are going to get hurt and miss a game or more. Probably a quarter are going to miss several games. So that top 30, that list of 30 we can make is not going to be the same as next year. And of course, the free agency and rookies uh, and the draft will change all anyway. But the point is that group of players is much smaller than it is generally thought to be. And that, that has a massive impact on IDP because in a lot of leagues, you're going to have start three linebackers for a 12-team league. So 36 linebackers, right? If there's only 30 guys we can be really convinced of, that means half your the teams in your league are going to be playing a part-time guy. And we know what that looks like. So imagine, uh, what's a good example? Um, running back. If if your league has start three running backs, there's only 20 running backs that have real dominant big roles. So And it sucks if you haven't got one of those and you've got a you've got to be starting JD McKissick and crossing your fingers every week. That's the sort of impact that linebacker is getting towards now. You know, I, I haven't refined my process here and I don't know if, if the way I'm approaching this scenario is exactly correct, but I think because the injury rate at linebacker is so high, and I remember us having this conversation a while back in regards to Devin White specifically, but because the injury rate is so high and what we can expect from different defensive schemes just based upon how they use their linebackers is relatively predictable. I've actually been selling linebackers generally this offseason to just acquire draft capital or wide receivers or other positions that I believe have more long-term dynasty value because I just I feel confident much like uh, somebody playing zero RB might that linebackers are just going to get injured. It's going to happen and if you're the first one to the waiver wire to figure out who the next guy up is you'll get free production and you won't have to pay anything for them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's getting harder to pick those guys up. Mostly, I agree with you. The, the, the thing that sends me the other way is true position. We'll talk about true position a little bit, but the concept is basically any so-called outside linebacker edge rushers are not counting as linebackers. If you are playing with that that setting, then it massively reduces the number of linebackers you've got, and they, they sort of become gold dust. So weirdly, I, I found linebackers are more valuable in a couple of leagues that have changed that over the last couple of years, just because there's not many of them around compared to what settings look like. But overall, yeah, I agree with you. Where I am on linebacker in particular is you've got a really bad idea of who those studs are. So everyone can, you know, will spend the offseason arguing, I've got this guy ranked fifth and this guy seventh and this guy ninth and should they be one or two spots higher? You, you haven't got that sort of granularity. You just can't predict that. It's 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 laughable to think you can um, because injuries is the handbrake, right? 40% of them are going to get injured and, and, and miss games and that throws your rankings out. So I've massively pivoted away from trying to get as many of those high guys to just get as many of those top 30 as you can. Because um, you've got absolutely no idea which of those 30 are going to finish the top 12. It might well be the guys that are ranked 25th to 30th. It might be the guys that are ranked higher, but one is a massively higher opportunity cost. So Devin White, you, you brought up, right? Um, Devin White this time last year was head and shoulders the, the most highly valued linebacker in IDP and in Dynasty formats in particular. Now, that's Micah Parsons. Two years ago... It was Darius Leonard. Um, so look, they can't all be absolutely brilliant long-term slam dunk number ones. And to get any of those, you are having to draft them two, three rounds before any other linebackers. Those are bad bets. 
because we know that stability doesn't look like that way. So don't make the bet. You can just draft guys later and you'll have as much chance. And that's not always going to happen. The majority of times you do that sort of thing, it's not going to work out because in standard 12 team league, right, 11 people are going to lose 85% or whatever. So mostly you're not going to win. That doesn't mean it's a bad strategy. So I'd, I'd love to be able to stand here and go, it's all about the player. We understand talent equals um, winning in IDP, but, but it's just not. And, and your strategy needs to change to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm and talking we'll... to you like your strategy needs to yes. change. But I'm talking in the hypothetically, obviously. Yes. Well, I mean, all of ours do. If we're not perfect, we can always be better. And we'll definitely get into Micah Parsons later. But I, I love what you said about opportunity cost and the game theory nerd in me kind of kind of gets a little excited about that because it's, <laughs> it's so true. And it's so important because if you don't know, and we don't know which linebacker is going to be the <laughs> best one this season... Why not just play the odds and play the opportunity cost? Buy one for cheaper, that's likely to produce at about the same rate. And instead, invest your draft capital in a position that actually has a higher rate of return. Um, We could go on about this for a really long time, I'm sure, just (laughs) judging on how excited we get about this topic. We, We discussed talent in regards to production a little bit earlier. I wanted to dive back into that well. I, I, I'm a fan of how much you focus on how good these players are. In your handbook, you talk about all the different major role players on all the different defenses and talk about not only how well they did, but like how good they are at football at all. I send a screenshot of what you said about the Chargers linebacker group to one of my leagues because I could not stop laughing reading that. You know, Kenneth Murray had a really good season, minus the fact that, you know, he had a severe deficiency in regards to, you know, being good at football. <laughs> which was pretty hysterical to me. Um, and we've mentioned before IDP managers have a really bad habit of looking at what you refer to as counting stats, whether that be tackles or something else. Why do you believe it's so important for managers to understand the difference between good stats and just good play in general? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, because of predictability. So we're in the business of forecasting the future, right? Which which humans absolutely suck at. <laughs> we're really bad at it. We don't know how bad we are. Um, so when we talk about IDP production and say that how good you are does not equate to how many IDP stats, that is absolutely correct because tackles are a product of volume rather than rather than how good you are. However, it's a much better indicator of what you're going to look like in the future. So let's talk about Kenneth Murray. It's a good example, right? So his rookie season, he was really bad. Um, he didn't play very well. He looked like his feet were stuck in concrete. Amazing stance. He's got a super low stance. He gets his butt right between his ankles. Love it. Um, but he, he just didn't move very well. Um, and and it showed, it didn't show in the stat sheet. He still piled up a load of tackles, and he was going last year as something like 15th, 18th um, linebacker off the board, something like that, because a lot of people thought, he's only young, he's going to get better, and, and I mean, it's nonsense. That's not how it works. Um, if you, we make excuses for a lot of players. We're always looking at players and go, oh, he had a bad coach, or a bad supporting cast, or he's just a rookie, or he's drafted late, or bad weather, or whatever. Um, and I think we do that too often. If we just look at players and go, he wasn't really good. That doesn't mean he's going to suck forever. It doesn't mean I don't want him to be better. It doesn't mean I, I, I'm thinking bad things about his future. But he wasn't very good. And mostly, players don't improve that much. Okay, it, pretty much all players get better from rookie season to year two. And they don't really improve that much after that. Some of them do on an independent, uh, on individual basis. But as a whole, it doesn't get much better. So someone like Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen had really bad rookie season. Everyone made excuses and, and said he was going to be much better. And then they followed up with a really bad second year as well. How confident are we about them getting better? 
Not very. I, th- I think they probably are who they are. Now, of course, sometimes that, that bites us on the ass. And the classic example is Josh Allen, who played really badly for... Sorry, I'm talking about Josh Allen quarterback, right? Obviously. Um, played really badly for two years, and then he got really good. And all the people that had sort of, you know, given themselves the thumbs up, Josh Allen, I like him, went, oh, you, you could always see the signs of how good he was going to be. I'm... Nonsense. I mean, yeah, you made some good throws. All players make some good players. It's how often do they do that? Josh Allen did it much less often than the people around him. Now, hands up, we were wrong because he did get much better. Um, and that happens all the time. But y- you need to understand what the trends are so you can see the exceptions. So, to go back to your question about understanding which players are good, if they are bad and if they follow that with more badness, we can go, they probably haven't got that much of a future. Now, it, it's not that simple. Um, Quincy Williams is still playing in the NFL and still played 700 snaps or whatever last year. And there's a load of sort of players hanging around. There's a thousand defenders uh, who play in the NFL every year. So there's a lot of guys that aren't very good. Um, but but it's pretty useful to understand that because people react to big names. So every year, um, some guy will get cut and not signs and, and Twitter will be going, oh, why is nobody taking a chance on him? Because he's not very good. <laughs> and all the coaches know he's not very good. And he's not worth the four million quid he's asking for. Um, Jalen Smith. Sorry, dollars. <laughs> yeah, Jalen Smith, a uh, good example. Um, and there's millions of these guys. Uh, so I, I think it's there's a big difference between understanding how good players are and what that means for their long-term benefit and how good players are and how that doesn't equate to what their counting stat production looks like now. Absolutely. And hey, for every Josh Allen supporter out there, there's five Sam Darnold believers as well. So, Oh, yeah. Josh Rosen. People still think Josh Rosen is really good. And they're like, oh, it's not his fault. He didn't have an offensive line. Yeah, I know that. But he sucked every time he stood on on the field. At some point, you've got to go, you know, maybe I watched three games of his college tape and, and decided thumbs up or thumb down. I was just wrong because we're wrong all the time on players. Actually, on this topic, this is completely unrelated to IDP, but... Just while we're talking about it, I just had this revelation kind of in my head where the whole point of a quarterback is to elevate the team around them. Why are you expecting the team to elevate the quarterback to a point where the quarterback is finally passable? Why not yep. instead just hope that your quarterback can bring the team up with them? I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's just excuses. I've, I was thinking about this earlier. So a lot of times you see excuses for players and coaches, right? We'll talk about Robert Sala. Robert Sala is a classic example. He took over a probably bottom eight Jets defense and he made them the worst defense in the NFL. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, but Carl Lawson got hurt and a couple of other people got hurt and blah, 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 blah. Maybe the GM's fault. And like, you've got to take responsibility, right? Uh, okay, I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. I hope next year he turns it around and his defense is mid-table. Could well happen. But most of the people commenting on players and coaches mostly are fans of that team because that's who talk about those team and they're always going to be optimistic and and think that everything is going to get much better so that skews the overall conversation right one of the other things you do in in your handbook is you're very quick to i don't want to say very quick because that sounds like too quick (laughs) but you're quick to admit when people are just bad at football i think a lot of analysts are optimistic like you said especially fans and want to take their time before they really pull the plug on some guys that just don't have real NFL talent, what are some big name players that you think the market really is too high on or you're specifically lower on them than the market seems to be? Oh, are we going to talk about Micah Parsons here? I, uh, mm-hmm. We're going to get there. So, um, yeah, again, two different things in NFL terms and, and sort of IDP, right? But let's talk about Micah Parsons because he's a really good lightning yeah. rod for this. And we'll get on to Devin White as well. I'd love your uh, opinion on both of them. So we'll start with Parsons. Parsons is... 
had a really good rookie season. He played really well. He was a phenomenal pass rusher. Absolutely brilliant. But I'm going to be way lower on him because I'm not sure he can replicate it. Devin White is another good example. So last year he was being valued enormously high on the back of a ridiculous number of um, sacks. He had, what, 11 sacks or something like that? Um, decent pressure. He blitzed a lot and, and a really, really high conversion of, of pressured sacks. And everyone's like, he's going to be great. Um, and you can just see that stuff regressing. Now, Devin White's really interesting because he's a bad NFL player. So he, he can't cover people. He gets blown off blocks. Um, he makes bad decisions. But he can blitz. And, and the only thing that people mostly see, because, you know, we are, an, a, I nearly said a nation, when we come from halfway different around the world, <laughs> we are a, a committee of highlight watchers, right? Most people can't watch every snap of every game. I certainly can't. We've all got lives. We've all got better things to do. So most of the time when you see a defensive player, you're seeing it because his name has been shouted and you're seeing the best ones of those because it's in highlights. So for Devin White, you'll see him going, here's a big sack and here's a couple of sacks in the Super Bowl. And everyone goes, oh, he, they were really good plays. He must be awesome. But he's really not. But nobody, nobody sits there watching him not get close to the receiver on coverage plays where he wasn't targeted. You know, it's not going to happen. So you sort of fail to understand how poor these players are. Um, and, and there's just a, a lot of that going along. Um, so who should we talk about? Jalen Thompson might be a good one. You know, um, mm. Cardinals safety and people thought he came out of nowhere and had a really good season. He sort of did as an IDP. I don't think he's any good. I don't think he's a good player. What is he specifically good at? I didn't see anything. Isaiah Simmons staying with the Cardinals. Um, so you're in Arizona. You, you probably hear a lot more talk about Isaiah Simmons. And I bet Cardinals fans are still convinced that Isaiah Simmons is really good. I don't see anything he's very good at. Sure, he's versatile. He can play in the slot. He can he can run around really quick. He can rush the passer and play orthodox linebacker. But he's not good any of those things um and another team would go well it's much easier for me to find a slot cornerback and a, a, a pass rusher and a linebacker than it is for me to get one guy who who theoretically can do all those things but actually doesn't do all of them so yeah it's hard right because people do thumbs up thumbs down scouting around draft season people either go oh he's 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 a my guy i'm gonna plant my flag on him and then you don't say anything if, if they suck and if they're good, you go, I told you so. <laughs> Even if it happens years and years later. And you forget all the ones, you don't say that. So everyone thinks they're they're really good at spotting these players, but I'm I'm not convinced we are good at it at all. What a what a hot take that having a nuanced perspective of players is actually beneficial as an analyst. Who would have thought that? Yeah, I'm that and that was a rant, so sorry. I'm not sure I answered the question there. But I, I, I just think it's important to understand what players do. All right, there's two ways you can do that. You can watch all thousand of those defensive players all the time, or you can process good data and information. So, going back to the whole film versus um, um, analytics—I hate that word. Uh, then all analytics is counting how often something does it, right? So theoretically, if you're a film guy, you're watching a certain player and you're seeing how many times he does a good thing, and you're counting subconsciously or or however you're doing it, and comparing that to other players exactly the same thing you're just writing it down instead of of doing it subconsciously so how often do players do good things and bad things and is that more or less often than others um now personally i watch a lot of football but i use a lot of data and a lot of information to make that easier for me because i know i just can't watch it all um the truth is somewhere in between but it's so easy to be swayed with defensive players in particular because we watch the ball on the field that's what most people do Ball watchers. Oh, yeah. You talked about that on Twitter the other day, too. We'll have to get into that a little bit later. Oh. I'm I'm going to take a wild card question here just because, yeah, I've 
it kind of popped into my head as you were saying because we don't really have enough time to watch every single snap for every single player from every single game. And so data does a really good job of helping us figuring out what's important, what's not important. I'm curious what data you believe kind of correlates to talent or lack thereof. What what are some trends that you look for when figuring out which players are just not that good at football? Oh, that's a good question. Um, actually, it's a brilliant question, uh, and I want to hear your answer as well. So it's relatively easy for different positions, right? So let's start with linemen, interior and outside linemen. Um, with edge players, you're first and foremost looking at pass rush success because that's what they're doing most of the time on the field, and that, that's pretty clear. You know, are they generating pressure for their volume? Um, and you can see it really easily. And you can see players who are, uh, who are generating high amounts of pressure, but bad for their volume. DJ Wanham is a great example, right? So Vikes fans at the moment are like, DJ Wanham's really good. Look at how much pressure he created. Well, yeah, but he, he rushed the pass like second in, in the entire NFL and he sucked. He was really bad at doing it, but they didn't have anyone else. Um, so you can sort of do that for edge. Now, that's not their only role. And you still need to set the edge and there's still other things going on. Classic example is the Bengals, right? On one side, you've got Trey Hendrickson, who is generating massive amounts of pressure, but cannot set the edge to save his life. He's a pile inspector. You'll see he tackles in a run game, and he's always standing there behind the line of scrimmage watching it. On the other side, you've got Sam Hubbard, who's a brilliant edge setter, but not a very good pass rusher. So really good example there. Interior is quite interesting. Uh, Like we said earlier, I I think run-stop percentage um, is sort of useful for interior players because it does give you a good indication of how well they get off the ball. Again, you can talk about edge players who can't do that. So Trey Hendrickson, Yannick Ngakwe is a great example. I remember arguing with Vi- um, not Vikes, uh, Jaguars fans years ago that, that that was a problem to his game. They're like, no, 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 he's going to be the next All-Pro. Oh, yeah, turns out he couldn't do that. <laughs> that's been his issue everywhere. Linebacker is the one that's really tricky. Now. I'd like your point of view here. Because it's very hard to find any stats that point to linebackers being bad. You sort of have to understand what's going on. So um, targets, not that useful. You can look at some linebackers that are heavily targeted, but it changes quite a lot. It's not very stable. I, I don't feel that confident in it. Missed tackles is a good one. Yeah, yeah, maybe blitz performance, but you know they're only blitzing 5 to 10% of the time. That's so not that helpful. Pure tackles, not that useful. Tackle efficiency is not very indicative whatsoever. So I struggle to describe bad line black play statistically. I think I can see it, uh, but it's a really good question. Have you, have you found anything that, that points that way? I think the reason why the question is so difficult is you mentioned in your handbook, generally linebackers across the entire league are pretty bad. There are very few really, really elite ones. And so perhaps maybe the reason we can't find data that shows us which ones are very good or very bad is because all the data is pretty much showing us that they're not very good. And so it's hard to find a differentiation between them simply because they're all having a deficiency in one area or another simply because the position in and of itself is forcing them to do something they're not good at at almost any point in time. I, I totally agree. Um, that's actually a really good way of thinking about it. And, and that thing they're not good at, obviously, is covering people. Most linebackers are bad coverage options. They can't cover tight ends because tight ends are ridiculous athletes now. They can't come close to targeting uh, wide receivers. And they're normally outmatched by running backs. So a lot of the NFL is trying to make sure that you've got a linebacker in man coverage on someone and you can pick up a first down. Um, so, yeah, great shout, actually. It's a really good insight. Yes. And for the listeners that are, are hearing this conversation but wondering what specifically this, this data looks like, I have great news for you. In this handbook we're talking about and on Tom's Twitter, 
there are so many great graphs that just graph out how players performed against their peers in the league with trend lines basically showing what it looks like to be average at what you do. And then he calls out what he calls spotlights, which are specific players on specific teams (laughs) that have done much better or much worse than what that trend line suggests they ought to do based on their opportunity. And it is so easy to see after you look at that graph, all the scatter plot points, just looking at a specific dot that's so much lower or so much higher than what this trend line is. And you can just look very simply, oh, wow, this player is not doing a good job of what they ought to be doing with this opportunity. Super, super simple. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty visual guy. Uh, it turns out I never thought I was, uh, but I, my brain responds well to to seeing that sort of stuff visually. Um, so I, I present data in a way that I think is interesting. I love it. Getting into a little bit more of a wholesale view of just the NFL in general. On every single defense, when you talk about every single defense, you have a slide dedicated to how they ranked this season, but also how they ranked historically over the past decade, going back to I believe. 2010. Can you talk a little bit about how you rank these defenses and why you believe it's a better representation of overall performance rather than other specific metrics? Yeah, really good question. Um, Because I appreciate that. That's probably slightly unusual. So where I am is people often talk about the number 17 defense or the number one defense. And when they do that, they talk about points allowed during the regular season, right? And it's, it's sort of useful. Obviously, not conceding points is the point of defense. So I'd never throw that out. However, if, if you look at yards allowed and points allowed, they correlate pretty badly, uh, which is a bit weird because surely they should be the same. And yeah, of course, sometimes teams are going to get short drives and not concede a lot of yards, but concede points and, and vice versa. Um, but over the course of a season, 1,000 to 1,100 snaps, you should see a really good correlation in those and you don't. Uh, and the reason is because different defense is really good or, or really bad at different things and actually luck is really important um your cornerback falling over and, and a, a long completion going for a touchdown or you know uh, teams that are good offenses that fumble through the end zone and give the ball away for a touchback things like that happen all the time so my point of view for overall defense and grading that is is not to come up with one specific number because none of those numbers are that good so i'll go the other way so basically i i use 32 different factors so um, yards allowed, points allowed, yards per play, rushing, first down rate, number of penalties, scoring drive percentage, pressure rate, finishing rate, blah, 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 load different stuff. And I basically weight all those things and score them all. Um, so you build up a massive weighted model of how teams have done with all those different things compared to all of their peers and all of the peers in the, I'm on 12 years at the moment. I, I sort of don't want to go any earlier than 2010 because the game has changed so much i'm not sure it's directly comparable maybe i should i should just do 10 years rolling don't know anyway we'll see um and basically weight all those things and it sort of spits out scores but it's really interesting to see how teams do against other peers so 2020 is a really good example right um 2020 was really bad defensively um and the question for years and years raged um did it hurt your offense or defense more if you lacked consistency and time gelling and all that sort of stuff. And 2020 pretty much told us the answer. It hurts your defense more. Because offenses were sort of okay. If you look at offenses in 2020 versus historically, pretty much the same, pretty much as effective. You looked at defenses, man, they were bad. They really sucked. And they made a lot of mistakes and they got things wrong all the time and they just fell apart. And I don't think most people realized at the time or even since how bad 2020 was 
in terms of overall defense. So you have to look at it against historical benchmarks to understand where we are. So if you look at the worst defense of the past 12 years, I, uh, something like five of the bottom 12 came from 2020. I, they were just really bad. <laughs> they really, really sucked. Um, and, and that gives you a much better idea of where you are historically. So yeah, cool. You can be the number four defense, but was that a bad year or a good year for defense? Because that will change things quite a lot. So that's a, a long, stupid, waffly answer. But basically, count everything and factor it all in rather than only count a few things and ignore most of the data. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I wonder if part of the reason why, or not part of the reason, I have to assume it's a massive reason why 2020 was so bad is just because defense is by nature a reaction-based position. And where an offense, you decide what you do. Defense, you have to kind of react to that offense, but also coordinate with your teammates and it's a lot harder to coordinate with your teammates in a reaction-based skill than it is in a decision-based skill, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And in particular amongst the morass of terrible defense last year, uh, groups of players who were especially bad was rookies. Almost every rookie defender was awful in 2020, Chase Young being a notable example, and there is a few others, but most of them were really bad, and players on new teams as well. Um, players who signed as free agents in 2020 really struggled. Now, my, my theory and logic was, because because of covid preseason sort of didn't happen and they did everything via zoom and it was just very restricted they didn't have that time drilling the units and making sure your communication is fine now that that should be a factor on offense as well right uh, quarterbacks throwing to targets offensive linemen blah 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 but we saw it was much more of an is- issue for defenses now part of that is about communication as an empty stadium so that offenses could hear calls better and there's a lot of th- different things going on at the same time we can't really isolate those but it seems pretty clear that defense struggled more than offense. We're going to be getting to a break here for an ad in just a moment, but I have one more question I want to ask of you before we get that a little bit more meta question or just, you know, what's something you're really looking forward to in the NFL in 2022? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So generic answer at this stage of the year is I want the bad teams to get much better. Um, so yes. every year I go into the offseason and I go, I really want them to stop being so crappy. Um, and when it happens, it's brilliant, right? Raiders made the playoffs. Uh, the Bengals are in, in the Super Bowl. The Browns have sort of stopped being so terrible the uh, last couple of years. But you've still got the Lions and you've still got the Jets and you've still got a load of bad teams. Uh, the Texans are signing uh, hiring Lovey Smith as head coach. So best of luck with that, Texans. Um, but against... Against all logic, I would like rubbish teams to be much better. And that's the most exciting thing in the NFL, right? So why I love it compared to some of the sports over here is because you get that that social mobility. And it's so easy to get much better or much worse. And that flux of which teams move in which way is endlessly fascinating. Awesome. All right. Don't go anywhere, you guys. We're going to have a quick ad break and we'll be right back to break down some teams a little bit more specifically. IDP flow, safety's in the box, no PO. Play like the Rio, happy take home the gold like a C3PO. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code IDPSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. 
Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. The number one product in this package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. And get this, the trimmer's advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate balls. It even has a 4,000K LED spotlight so you can shave anywhere your heart desires. Did I mention that it's waterproof too? I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me? I think this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. This package also includes the Weed Whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer to whack all the worst of your weeds. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts, their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs to keep your boys stored comfortably. To complete the perfect package for your package are liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Start your day off with the deodorant for your boys, then stay cool all day with toner to keep you feeling your best all day and night. These formulations will also have your balls smelling like a king on the big day. And don't forget to smell good not only around your balls, but all over. Made with their signature scent, the Manscaped Refined cologne will complement your collection with smell perfection manscape created their products for a night just like this and will make your v-day date say wow great set of balls you have there go to manscape.com for our exclusive offer of 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code idp show your balls and lady will thank you get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code idp show at manscape.com one more time, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code IDP Show. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Oh, baby, it is the Dynasty offseason. We are less than two weeks out from the Super Bowl between the Bengals and Rams. And we are so excited, not just for the big game, but for the annual rollover of the Reality Sports online platform to officially start the 2022 fantasy season. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. And the IDP show is making it happen for listeners. We've partnered up with RSO to offer new members 10% off their annual site fee. Just use promo code IDP show after your 14 day trial is complete. So once the site rolls over to the 2022 league year, in the days after the Super Bowl, you're going to get the free 14-day trial as a new member. And then once that trial is up, use promo code IDP Show to get 10% off your site fee. So what are you waiting for? With RSO, you have free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tag, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. 
you're seeing the reason why RSO is the dynasty platform of choice for the main league of the big three and the IDP show. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your mettle. Just remember to use promo code IDPSHOW to get 10% off the site fee. Again, once the site rolls over after the Super Bowl, get that 14-day trial and then once that's up, you're going to want to use promo code IDP show to get 10% off the site fee for your leagues in 2022. Couple weeks away, just giving you all a heads up. Hope you're as excited as we are. Fantasy just got real with Reality Sports Online. Y'all know what time it is. The boys is back. All right. We're back from that ad break. Let's go ahead and break down some specific teams. I have listed a couple here that you put down in your handbook. I don't have all of them. I wish I could just dive into every single slide. Um, My goodness. So much information in there. I'm going to call it a couple quick things, though. And if we want to go off the rails and talk about some other teams I didn't have notes about, I'm totally down to do it. But first up, I, I have the bills mentioned here because when I was reading through them, I, I noticed some things that you were writing down about why their season was so impressive and what the reason was, or more specifically, what the reason wasn't. <laughs> I'm super interesting, right? So I, for my money, the bills were the best defense in the NFL in 2021. Now we're sitting here, Super Bowls in a couple of days time, um, and the playoffs are, are large in, in our rear view mirror. So it's easy to forget what they looked like over the whole season and, and just have recency memory. So number two defense in, in the NFL for me this year was the Patriots. And the Patriots got absolutely walloped and their defense they looked really really bad in the playoffs and they got bumped so that looks a little bit silly but over the year they they were great and the bills are really good defense so probably top 20 25 uh defense of, of the past 12 years um now why i i think they weren't so brilliant was they weren't all about um milkshakes and fireworks they they didn't do anything particularly exciting or innovative or wonderful or surprising or great they were just very very solid they they're very well coached that's one of those terms that doesn't really mean much but people say it when they want to sound clever they were well coached <laughs> uh, but what i mean is they made very few mistakes they were very well drilled and they were very solid so the bills looked good because they were a relatively simple defense who executed brilliantly snap after snap after snap they had a very clear plan uh they they stayed in the same formation most of the year uh they basically didn't play anything apart from nickel um and their rotation was really interesting but they they didn't do anything special now that doesn't mean that's the template for doing really well because we see loads of teams who do that Bills tried to do that the year before it wasn't very good uh the Colts are a good example for last uh two years as well really vanilla fairly boring defense and it doesn't make them brilliant so you can succeed in a bunch of different ways the Patriots who we talked about earlier were the second best defense and they were wildly different they were super unique doing a load of unpredictable things very modern um but the bills sort of based on that don't mess anything up time after time and that worked really well for them I mean it didn't work that well because they got bumped out of the playoffs after you know, Patrick Mahomes took 13 seconds to go the length of the field and score a touchdown. So it's just really, really hard to win with defense now. But 
I'm really interested to see what they do next year because they look ripe for regression for me. Um, It's very hard to see. It's very hard to build a defense with no weak links. A defense as good as its weakest link. And they sort of didn't have any weak links uh, last year. But players always go on and get paid and throw tantrums and, and there'll be turnover and that sort of thing. So so what do you think of the Bells' defense this year? Did you think they were the best defense in the league? Or? It certainly seemed like that. And for most of the season, they shut down the run and they shut down the pass. It was really impressive. Um, obviously, at the end of the year, they decided to stop playing defense for a bit just to let us all watch some amazing football. It was an unfortunate <laughs> decision on their part. But... It's really interesting. You mentioned there's so much year-to-year variance in regards to just defensive performance, but you also have to wonder if maybe there's a chance for an outlier to that variance statistic just because the reason they were so good is because they had a lot of individual players who just executed their roles. Hmm. But yes, there's always, you know, the human element is involved, simply players wanting more money, players throwing tantrums, just things changing in general. Some other things changing, I'm still on the topic of the Bills. I was looking at how much they rotate their defensive line, especially their edges, and they have a really exciting player, Gregory Rousseau, who I know there are a lot of managers who have their eyes on him. It's the offseason. We want to make trades in our dynasty leagues. Should we be acquiring players like Rousseau, or would you say that because they rotate their edge so much that perhaps maybe the market's perception of him might be a little overblown? Yeah, I, I think it's a trap um and you know who knows maybe i'll look stupid so a lot of idp heads will be looking at going well jerry hughes is leaving and mario addison is leaving and probably somebody else as well so the other guys rousseau aj peneza uh, boogie basham they're gonna suddenly get another 300 snaps and play um i strongly caution against that i i they're gonna sign some other guys because every single year since uh, this bill's management took over they're very very clear uh, MO has been rotational across the defensive line. They do it very deliberately. You can see it on a weekly basis. They have no interest in saying, you're really good, so you can play 60 snaps a week. It's just not going to happen. So I, I think there's people going out now trying to buy those guys because they think they're being clever and see opportunity coming. And I think it's a bit of a trap, I'm afraid. It doesn't mean I don't think they're good players. It doesn't mean they can't do well. But the Bills are a great example. I, I didn't draft any of those guys when they came out as rookies because I thought they're going to play 30 snaps a week. And it, they'll play really well, but on any given week, it is an absolute lottery which one of those uh, Bills' edges is going to get the sack. Someone's probably going to get a couple of sacks, but you've got no idea which one it's going to be. So in best ball leagues and settings, absolutely brilliant. I love those guys because they're really good. In manage, start, sit rosters, I absolutely hate them. Yes. And again, another instance of how important the difference is between the IDP realm and the NFL fan realm. And I have to wonder maybe why IDP fans struggle with this so much is because on the offensive side of the ball, the Venn diagram, the two circles are a lot closer together. There's a lot more overlap in regards to how we perceive a player's Mm -hmm. talent and how productive they are for fantasy. Where in the IDP realm, it's, it's a lot different. There is not as much overlap. Yeah, and it's about rotation, right? Um, So a a good offensive player, wide receivers and tight ends in particular, and quarterbacks obviously are going to play every snap. They're literally going to be out there the whole season. Um, And that's not true on on defense. I just ran this stuff, actually. So the last five seasons, one of the things I look at is how often teams use their most common combination of 11 players. So the whole offseason, people are like, oh, our starting 11 looks like this, and they lift out 11 players. And that's just not what the NFL looks like. So in the last five years... 32 teams, so 160 total teams. How many times has a team used um, a single 
starting 11 over 100 times. And that's like 10%, right? Because a thousand snaps a year. So let me just count up. I actually haven't done it. One, two, this is great radio. Three, four times. Four times in five seasons has a team given a, a so-called starting 11, 100 snaps. And everybody else is wildly lower. The average is 40 snaps for the top wow. combination. So just this idea of who's a starter and who's a bench makes a ton of sense when you're talking about running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. It is meaningless um, in IDP. Now, of course, there are some situations where certain players play all the time and blah, blah, blah. blah. But in particular, when we're talking about linemen, like we are for the Bills, I, it's, it's useless. Um, don't think that way. Um, and frankly, is why I'm, I'm sort of in love with best ball. Let's move on to the Cowboys a bit. We mentioned Micah Parsons earlier. I want to talk a little bit more about him just because you mentioned why you are lower on him than the market is. And I think there's another reason we haven't discussed yet, which just regards to his usage and the tackle rate that we can expect from players that play on the edge. What are your thoughts there? Uh, you're going to get me hate mail here because I'm, <laughs> I'm lower on Michael Parsons than everyone else is going to be. Um, that doesn't mean he can't be brilliant. It doesn't mean he's a good asset. It doesn't mean he's not a really good choice to be a good linebacker. It means I'm worried that he can do it again. Um, so let's talk about tackle efficiency you mentioned. So an average top 36 linebacker has a tackle efficiency of somewhere around 12%, 11-12% varies by season. So over a thousand snaps, they're probably going to rack up about 120 tackles. Something like that. Mike Parsons last year had a tackle efficiency of under 8%, 7.7. So over a thousand snaps, he's going to rack up on average 77 tackles. That's a 45 difference in tackles. Now, if your guy scores 47, 45 fewer tackles, you're probably not going to score as well as IDP. Now, the answer is, of course, oh, but he's playing, he's playing on the edge. He played, what, four or five games as a legit defensive end? And the other games, he, he spent about 15 to 20% uh, per game playing on the edge. And he racked up the tackles, right? He got 14. But the, the sum you've got to do is the amount of points you lose from those 45 fewer tackles, is that equal to the amount of points you get for those 14 sacks? And the average linebacker is going to get two or three anyway. So 11 or 12 sacks. Does that account for 45? So basically, are, are your sacks worth four points each? And if they are, great. No no problem. He was really good for you. And you probably scored really well in your in your league last year. If, if they weren't, or if it was borderline, then suddenly you're in a position where you're going to hope you're going to hope he matches those sacks again because I'm not sure that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to play defensive end as much. Um, so 14 sacks every year is, is obviously not going to happen. That's untrue. I, I'll probably have him down for seven or eight next year when I work through projections. So he'll lose half his sacks. I mean, who knows? Maybe he gets 10, maybe he gets 12. I, I might be wrong. Um, but his low tackle efficiency is probably going to be fairly standard because the tackle efficiency doesn't come from how good he was. It comes from where he's playing. And the whole point of Micah Parsons, the whole reason why he's good compared to lots of other players is because you can deploy him as a brilliant edge rusher. So they're not going to stop doing that. Um, there's just so many variables in that, that that point to ways that Micah Parsons could not replicate this year. That worries me. Doesn't mean I think he's going to be rubbish. He'll probably still be a top 12, 15 linebacker in my projections. But am I willing to draft him two, three, four rounds uh, higher than any other defensive player? Absolutely not. I think it's a terrible investment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not, not even to mention the opportunity cost here. There's the usage and then there's just how much you'd have to pay to get him in the first place. Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and move on to the lines here. Uh, I have written down here the, the high tackles and, and the, <laughs> the high missed tackle percentage. It's a poor way to identify defenders, but 
low tackle numbers definitely can show a lack of playmaking is, is a quote that you had written down there in regards to the Lions, specifically Alex Anzalone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alex Anzalone sucks. Yes. I, we talked about this a little bit before, and, and coming off the back of Michael Parsons, there are lots of examples where it's not true, right? So a low tackle efficiency can easily indicate a player who is not asked to play a lot of orthodox linebacker. So Mike Parsons, Isaiah Simmons, Anthony Barr is a classic example, Dante Hightower, blah, blah, blah. There's a few of those guys. It doesn't mean they're bad. But for a linebacker who is playing pure orthodox off-ball linebacker, someone like Alex Andaloni, who cannot get to the ball and make plays, I think that's a problem. I, I think that shows a lack of mobility or instincts or understanding or the ability to get off blocks or, or et cetera, et cetera. If it's only a couple of percent and it only happens once, okay, fair enough. You you see erratics and anomalies that happens all the time. Maybe you were just unlucky. For someone like Anzalone, where he played, what, 800 snaps before they even took him off the field um, and and it, his whole career sort of looked like that, I, I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you guys, you guys listeners, you can see this visually, again, in the handbook where you can see his opportunities graphed against his tackles compared to other linebackers in the league and just see how much lower he is than pretty much all these other players. And it's a really great indication that he is not that guy, pal. <laughs> you could just see that on the field, right? We talked yes. about statistical indicators. So yes, a, a low tackle efficiency can be one, but it's so easy to see Alex Anzalone missing plays. Now, Lions fans thought he was actually pretty decent this year and he's got cool flowing golden locks uh so i can understand how you would see him and think maybe he's doing things because every time they shout out and it's a tackle by anzalone you're going oh yeah he did make a tackle he must be good um but you can just watch him and you can see he doesn't really know what he's doing out there like miles killebrew on on the lions was a classic example for years um you could see miles killebrew pre-snap asking the players around him what he was supposed to do you could see him checking and being told because he just didn't understand what roles were and what the defense looked like and that's not that uncommon the the texans just hired their former defensive coordinator as their new head coach so that gives me some level of confidence that the things that are predictable about their defense will continue to be somewhat predictable um but the things that we're hoping for change is the quality of linebackers on the roster now for idp we had guys like christian kirksey and kamu gruger hill be really, really productive. But you mentioned in your handbook, none of them were very good. Kirksey, KGH, Hewitt, <laughs> Wilson, Wallow, none of them were all that talented. What will it take for this team to produce one or even two valuable IDP linebackers next season? Yeah, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? I mean, all of those guys are... <laughs> I mean, Christian Kirksey, is, it, Christian Kirksey is one of those guys that will come up in free agency because he's got a really recognizable name. He's been around for mm-hmm. a few years and people are like, oh yeah, why can't he get a job? He's not very good. He, uh, he, he's produced tackles, but he's not very good. Um, I'm sort of okay with, with the Texans. So the problem last year was not that all of them were bad. That was a problem in NFL terms. But the problem from an IDP point of view is it was very easy to look at their roster. Um, and they were doing a, a pretty classic tank job where they were just going to get a load of guys in and, and throw jelly at the wall and see what stuck. And none of those linebackers looked head and shoulders above the others. So we assumed they would get cut in and rotated in and out and dropped and reinstalled all through the season and basically that happened they they cut Zach Cunningham um, and the other guys were in and out and they kept changing plays uh, players and decisions so none of the guys played over 800 snaps I think I think a couple of them played in the 700s and those weren't very good 
useful IDPs over the season. doesn't mean they didn't have good weeks. It means compared to all of their peers, they were probably not in the top 30. I, I don't think any of them were top 30 linebackers. Now, the reason why I'm not that down on them next year is because you haven't got to be a good linebacker to be a good IDP. All you've got to do is be clearly the best linebacker on that team. Now, last year, they were just going to go, we're going to get five guys in and we'll see who looks good in any week. Next year, I, I presume they will draft someone or, or get someone as a free agent who they really are willing to get behind. Now, it's not going to be Neville Hewitt or the likes of him. I've got no idea who it's going to be. But I, I have more confidence they are going to make a proactive decision. And we should see who that is after most of the offseason changes. So I don't do any sort of projections or rankings in IDP until after the draft. Um, I don't know where you are. I, I'd love to tell me what you do because at the moment you're just guessing. You're making so many guesses on what teams will sign or not sign or, or draft or not drive. I just don't think it's worth the effort. Yes, at this point, really, the only useful thing to do is just analyze teams going into next year just based on scheme and opportunity so that by the time players do end up on the rosters, you have an easier way of figuring out if it's good for them or not good for them. Staying in, in division, I'm going to jump over to the Colts, talk about a different position than linebacker. I know linebacker is just so much fun to talk about, <laughs> but in, in cornerback required leagues, I know some managers have been really impressed with Kenny Moore this past season, but how should they feel about his performance and, and what should they expect going forward? Uh, yeah, you're going to get more angry people. So you can tell me, you can be positive about Kenny Moore in a minute. So I really like Kenny Moore. He had a really good year last year, um, but I, I don't think it's very repeatable again. And this happens with cornerback every year, right? More often with slot corners because tackle efficiency is so much higher. So cast yourself back 12 months ago and who had almost exactly the same season? Teron Johnson of the Bills. He had crazy tackle numbers, right? He was head and shoulders above every other corner far out and people are like yeah, yeah, yeah Teron Johnson is going to do the same thing um next year and he didn't and it's not because he played badly he played on the on the best defense in the league and he did his job and he didn't mess anything up but we were just holding him to that that unattainable level so from memory I was writing about it this morning uh Kenny hit something like a 12 percent tackle efficiency for the first half of the year last year which is mad right a slot cornerback is about seven and a half percent so like Best part of 40% higher than average. And it dropped down to normal in the second half of the year. Uh, but even so, he, he was sort of clearly the top guy. And I, I can't say how much you should avoid those top corners. So every year you'll see one or two corners that, that pile up tackles. Logan Ryan, Teron Johnson, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, and every year you'll see one or two that have a load of big plays. Um so Trevon Diggs, uh, obviously this year, in past years, Xavier Howard last year, Marlon Humphrey, all those forced um, fumbles uh, and recoveries. And people are like, yeah, 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 he's just got really good skill. So he'll do those for every year. And it almost never happens. They, those things just don't repeat. Um, cornerback is the least repeatable and the least sustainable position in fantasy by some distance, even ahead of safety, which is really hard. Uh, roughly... About three quarters of players in the top 12 will be brand new next year that weren't there this year. Three quarters. Um, and everybody always thinks that their guy's special and their guy will buck the trend, but it doesn't happen. So, look, I, I like Kenny Moore, good player. Um, again, he'll probably be in my top 12, 15 uh, in, in terms of rankings and projections. Is, is he going to be clearly the top corner in IDP again or one of the top two? No, he's not. Uh, it's, it's vanishingly unlikely. So let someone else sign him and you can pick up a corner a hundred spots later in your draft. Yes. 
Something I do like about Kenny Moore is uh, some of his comments regarding Pro Bowl voting and just how, right, we only really vote for outside cornerbacks and perhaps maybe the nickel deserves a little bit of love in that voting. I, I don't want us to understate how important that statement you made earlier is in just year-to-year stability regarding positions. There are a few things for dynasty managers to understand more important than what you just said in that production and stability year to year, depending on position, varies by position, and cornerback is the most highly volatile position out of all of them. So, so important. Yeah, I I sort of don't understand why it's not a bigger thing um, because everyone does their rankings and projections a year. So here's the thing for people at home. Um, just write them out. Just write out literally top 12 or 24 or whatever you want to do. Just make yourself a list and then look back after the season and go, how many did you get right? Um, and you'll probably have maybe three out of 12, that sort of number in, in those ranks. It's not very good. <laughs> I don't think it's very impressive. Um, and frankly, it gets to the point of, What's the point of doing it? Uh, but the outtake of that, as we talked about earlier, is you win in fantasy by un- embracing unpredictability, anti-fragility, all those sort of concepts about, you know this, about what game theory is and what the best strategy are based on observable change rates. Um, I don't understand calculus, but there's probably some calculus in here. Um, and and cornerback and, and defensive back in particular are super, super low, but we tell ourselves we can identify these special guys. Uh, this This amazing new thing has come over over the corner and it's going to be different now it's wrong we're very rarely right yes getting me all excited talking game theory over here there's so much more to this that we'll have to discuss at a later date i want to move on to the chiefs and man what happened with the chiefs linebackers this season i would venture to say any manager that rostered willie gay nick bolton anthony hitchens was probably tearing their hair out all season yeah, I mean, the Chiefs are just not interested, right? So we talked about um, situational football earlier. Uh, and some teams, Patriots, the Chiefs, uh, have very much leaned, lent into that. And they're just not interested in full-time linebackers. They're not at all. So I looked this up because I wanted the numbers in front of me. And numbers on a podcast are absolutely terrible. So bear with me. Um, normally, your your top linebacker is expected to play over 1,000 snaps, right? The average NFL team uh, or defense over a year will play somewhere between 1,050 up to 1,200 snaps with 17 games. So 2016, the top Chiefs linebacker played 841 snaps, a well below that 1,000, probably not in the top 40. In 2017, 845, again, well below it. 2018, 944, closer, but probably not a top 30 linebacker. In 2019, 709. In 2020, 603, vanishingly low. In 2021, 623. So that is six straight seasons the Chiefs have not had a full-time linebacker. They're not interested. They don't care about your fantasy team. Now, everybody this year is going to be, oh, Nick Bolton, man, he got those tackles. He was really good. So next year, they're going to make him the guy who's going to play a 1,000 snaps and he's going to pile up those. No, he's not. Um, It's not going to happen. I mean, yeah, sure, there's a chance there. But we have to listen to what teams tell us. Uh, very similar to the Bills and rotating. If they make the same decisions with different players year after year after year, they are showing us what they believe in. And and uh, your guy sitting at home who thinks, well, I've watched this guy get a couple of sacks and he's really good, so they'll change. Well, yeah, maybe, but mostly not. Mostly coaches do not change their spots and they have the same philosophies and same beliefs. And the Chiefs linebacker are a classic one. So look, I, I liked Willie Gay coming out as well. He was really fast. That doesn't translate into coverage ability. Nick Bolton had a load of tackles. That doesn't mean he's especially good. A um, couple of other guys floating around. Yeah, maybe Anthony Hitchens finally leaves. 
but they're almost certainly going to do the same thing. There will, there will again be a rotation and they will deploy the right linebacker for the right situation. So not a, not a unit I'm that interested in at all in IDP. Yes. I think one of the biggest mistakes fantasy managers make is thinking we know more than we actually do. And uh, it would probably be really beneficial for all of us to get a little bit of humility and a little less emotional about our players and just realize <laughs> that, look, the information is right there. You could learn more if you wanted to, but you have to be humble enough to admit that you don't know it yet. Yep. And you have to take the steps in order to get to that level of understanding and realize that just because you like this guy and he's on your team doesn't mean he's going to be good. And you can tell yourself a story to believe whatever you want. But at the end of the day, they don't give a crap about your fantasy team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I massively agree. We overestimate, and I very much include myself in this pot as, here as well. We overestimate how much we know. So in terms mm-hmm. of individual players, we've talked about hit rate and that sort of thing. So of, of the guys I predicted in top 12, I got about three or four out of those top 12 right in each position. I probably got another four or five in the next tier. So, you know maybe six seven eight guys in my top 12 or top 24 that might be useful might not be but that's sort of my level and it's not going to get much better because injuries are a handbrake on that one and in terms of predicting teams what i found is standard deviation in terms of ranking from year to year i.e one to 32 is top of my head i think it's 11 11 point something so if if your team if you're the top defense last year it's absolutely not surprising at all if you if you're the 12th best uh, defense the year after and we saw this, right? So last year we had who was best at defenses in, in the league. You had the Rams for the top defense, uh, Washington not far behind them, Saints not far behind them, Steelers with their amazing pass rush. Um, and out of those, the Rams were probably tenth, something like that. Steelers somewhere between sixteenth and twentieth. Uh, the Saints, you know, top defense again, probably top six. Um, and Washington were arguably a bottom eight defense as well. So you see this sort of thing happen all the time. Um, and yet we convince ourselves that we understand exactly what's going to happen in the future. We just don't. Of course. And, and talking about fantasy managers telling themselves a story to kind of convince themselves <laughs> of a narrative, let's, let's move on to the Rams here. You have zero regard for false assumptions made by IDP managers. The notion that Aaron Donald's teammates look really great next to him seems to be a fallacy now. And Why is that the case? Oh, yeah, a lot of people are going to think this... Is, this is going to be a classic cherry-picking example, oh, yeah. right? They're going to go, Dante Fowler had a really good year, and um, Leonard Floyd has done well, and Von Miller was really good when he was there, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I I've, I've did quite a bit of work last off-season about the impact of sort of an alpha pass rusher, because everyone always sort of thinks it's going to be true, right? You, this other guy is going to take up loads of blockers, and they're going to quadruple team him on every single block, and therefore everybody else can just walk up to the, the quarterback and tap him uh, down. And and it's just not... not consistently true we wildly overestimate how much pass rushers are double teamed so Aaron Donald might be the the only guy in the league that is is double teamed more than he's not for an edge rusher I don't think anybody is above 26 27 percent something like that so three quarters four fifths of the time they're not being double teamed and and that sort of that means that anybody else on on the line is not going to consistently see a lack of good players opposite him because again Offensive coordinators and offensive coaches are really good. <laughs> they they understand how how pass rushes attack, um, and they prepare for it. You 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 rarely see sacks. Um, it doesn't happen very often. There is not that much pressure most of the time. The blockers are winning because coaches are really good at this sort of thing. Uh, so I I think we get carried away with the idea that that 
certain pass rushers are really really good and it impacts everyone around them if you really look at that the the impact is relatively slight um it's sort of a, a few percent uptick in in players around them and again you can see this illustrated in the graphs that you put in your handbook where you can look at the efficiency of the other teammates of the other pass rushers on the rams and compare that to the trend line the line of expectation and just show that mm, they're just about where that line is nothing exceeding nothing super far below just about at expectation and and i think it's really interesting to see that just because it's it's evidence it's proof right there that the assumptions we make aren't necessarily true and whether or not you accept that is completely up to you and and how humble you end up deciding to be <laughs> right it, it doesn't mean they can't be good right uh, the lack of a correlation is not an inverse correlation so yes. leonard floyd has has sort of turned into a decent player he was a bit of a joke early on um but actually you can you can point to his sacks and pressure rate uh, as being overly negative in his years as a bear as well he's fine um, and Von Miller was excellent when he when he joined mid-season as well. So uh, we're not saying that Aaron Donald ruins things from anybody else. It doesn't doesn't it doesn't necessarily make them much better. They're still a defense that's got to the Super Bowl because they've got a really good pass rush and they've got three guys that can go out there and win um, and beat their man one on one on any given snap. That's hard to defend against. It just it doesn't all belong to Aaron Donald. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to move on to one last one last team for us to talk about in Miami. And there are a lot of really interesting players on their defense, and a few of them had pretty unique performances in 2021 just due to their usage. But because they have a new coaching staff coming to town next year, what do you think is most subject to change in regards to that outlier usage? Oh, really interesting defense. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. The Dolphins last year were the most unique defense in the NFL, I think. Uh, There's a couple up there in in different ways, but... I. They obviously descended from that Belichick tree, um, and there just weren't many of them. So the uh, Matt Patricia not in charge of the Lions anymore. They, they reverted to a much more orthodox defense, certainly later in the season. Um, and then the Dolphins were blitz crazy and doing a bunch of different things. Jerome Baker has played more and more on the edge through his whole career. He's not really an orthodox linebacker anymore. I worry most about him because that that unique scheme required a very unique players to play in those so whatever happens whoever they they get in in to run the defense it's not going to look like that the the chances of that are just very very low because you're not going to get a guy to run the same scheme which is really weird when you sacked the guy uh did last time regardless of issues between the coaches and ownership and all that sort of stuff now personally i i think we're going to see mike mcdaniel hire a defensive coach who runs a defense that is a bit more tailor-made to counter that Shanahan McVeigh sort of defense because we've seen that work really well so we talked about Robert Sala um earlier Robert Sala was originally pretty much a Pete Carroll um Seahawks uh sort of 2013 2014 disciple right and he started running off that sort of system in in um San Francisco very similar defensive line usage and that classic free safety um strong safety uh, split and then he changed that because he spent every day working with Carl Shanahan and all those brilliant minds um, and it became very, very clear that the offense they run is most easily countered with two high safety schemes. And that sort of a cyclical thing. We've gone back there for the same reason that Rams run a lot of two uh, high safety um, and various other teams. I would be pretty surprised if Mike McDaniel didn't get someone in 
who is going to run that sort of uh, scheme because that offense is, is spreading all around the NFL and loads and loads of people are stealing concepts from it. So he's going to go, well, I understand it really well and I understand how to defeat it really well. So I'm going to get someone who can defeat it because people are going to start using it against me. And that's just going to look super different. So Jerome Baker is really interesting. I'm not sure if he is the single linebacker you sort of want to have in that sort of system. Definitely, uh, there's no other linebacker on, on the roster that can do it. So that's a potential change for me. And the other one is safety. So safety uh, has been really interesting for the Dolphins and the Patriots uh, last couple of years. They have leaned massively into sort of three safety looks. Um, Eric Rowe, Brandon Jones have played that slot edge box role. And, and then Javon Holland was, was the deep guy. Um, I think that's going to look quite different. Uh, Eric Rowe will be gone. Although I, I think he's still on a stupid contract they gave him because Miami love giving players stupid contracts. Um, I, I don't think Brandon Jones fits particularly well into that too high. Now, it doesn't necessarily kill it because we've seen the Chargers. Uh, Chargers, obviously, with Coach Staley, run much more of a too high uh, scheme. And Derwin James doesn't fit into that. It's not making the most use of, of what he is as a player. And they've planned around that and they've done different things and they've adapted the system. Um, whether they do the same thing for Brandon Jones, I don't know. Not sure he's good enough uh, to make it worth, but I would expect them to run a very different look in the secondary and be looking for a linebacker who can play the single linebacker role. Just an instance of high variance where our preconceived notions are not necessarily going to apply as strongly in this instance than they do in instances of less variance. There are so many more teams we did not get to on this episode, (laughs) but for the listeners, you guys... All of this information, everything we talked about was inspired by the things that I read in the Defensive Scheme Handbook. All of the questions that I asked and all the answers that Tom gave are illustrated by really cool graphics, and you guys can look at all of that in that Defensive Scheme Handbook. So make sure when you get some time, go check that out. Go look at your favorite team and go look at all the wonderful things or (laughs) some not wonderful things written about that team. (laughs) Yeah, and then, then come and shout at me. Yeah, tell me why I don't understand. Um, yeah, so some some teams, uh, they're a good example, uh, have, have not fared particularly well. But I'm, you know, let's just be clear, I'm not biased. I've moved away from supporting any team. I'm just trying to tell you what I, I see. And I'm sure a lot of people read their uh, blogs and are much closer to the team and, and obviously live in the place and see a load of media that I don't. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. I'm not right on everything. I will be wrong on things. A lot of things that I've seen will change in the future. Players will get better, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to I'm trying to give people the language and terminology and the evidence so they can better uh, state their opinions. Yes. And because the realm of IDP and just understanding defense in general, although it's been around for so long, it still seems so new just because the amount of innovation in the community in general is, you know, it's it's driven by very few people, it seems. And I I'm very, very appreciative of of Tom, what you've done to help push that innovation forwards because the information is right there and it's free. It's free for you guys to get, which is very, very generous because I know how much time it's taken for you to prepare all this, but you guys can understand more about defense now than you ever could before. And the information is right there at your fingertips for you to become honestly one of the smartest minds probably, you know, in your sphere if you just go out and you read this and you get this information. So if you want to become the smartest IDB player in your league, look, (laughs) do it. Make it happen. You can totally make it happen. Tom, before I end this episode, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of to share some projects you might be working on coming up and and shout out some things these listeners can can access. Go for it. 
Oh, thanks, man. Um, so the, the things I'm working on at the moment is, is basically looking back at history. So in this part of the season, I, I look at the season that's just gone uh, and sort of identify outliers either way. Um, and I look for more and more history and understanding what's changed. So what I've done today is, is basically loaded up um, into my system of positional package allocation the entirety of 2017. So I've now got five years where I've done that thing, and that is every single snap, every single defense uh, plays. So what's that? A good 150,000 snaps, and it really shows trends of how defense is lined up. So now I feel I'm getting a much better handle on what teams are doing with single linebacker, how they're using big nickel um, more than standard nickel over time, that sort of thing. And I think that really helps because that informs what is likely to happen in the future and therefore we can make idp judgments based on trends rather than what normally happens which is we look at last year and we go that's probably going to happen again because we know that's not the case well i've been very very appreciative to have you join me on this episode today this has been an absolute blast for the listeners that are sticking around to the very end remember if you're not following Tom on Twitter, you're making a massive mistake with your social media. So make sure you go follow him at Tom Kisslingbury. And while you're at it, feel free to shoot me a follow at BGT Evan. We will be back later on in the week with some more episodes in the feed, but make sure that you guys check out that defensive scheme handbook. It will do absolute wonders for you. And um, some other closing thoughts for me on my end, the Big Game Theory podcast feed I've, I've been pretty bad at updating it, but I'll make sure I have some episodes rolling out soon. And I have some ideas in the works for some things this coming off season that'll hopefully help you prepare for your leagues. So in the meantime, you guys, stay in the loop, continue to learn, don't get too confident. But until next time, peace out. Adi, peace, oh. Adi, peace, oh. Adi, peace, oh.